6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his teaching on the book of 2 Kings, chapters 4 through 7. We're in the second session of our exploration of 2 Kings, and we'll take chapters 4 through 7 as our challenge this evening. Chapter 4 is going to contain five miracles by Elisha. And uh, the, uh, there are some similarity between Elijah and Elisha, but the miracles performed by Elisha are far more extensive. And again, uh, we're in that particular period of time that's uh, just in the earth. It's essentially Joram is the king of the southern kingdom, and uh, uh, Joram is, uh, by the same name, a kingdom of, uh, of Israel. We're going to talk a, a group of... of uh, Five miracles in chapter 4 here. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditors come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. This, we don't know where this took place, um, but it's obviously one of the cities where the schools of the prophets were situated, either Bethel, Gilgal, or Jericho. Now, the prophet had a wife, so you need to understand that the schools of prophets were not monasteries. They were they, they, uh, not a monastic type of settlement or of, of celibates. Um, now, the, the, this widow turned to Elisha for help in her hour of need, and she appealed to him on the basis that her husband was faithful uh, to the Lord and so on. Now, sons were sometimes demanded for payments of debt, and we find that practice frequently referred to in the cuneiform records of, uh, of that era, so... That's not a surprise. Verse 2, Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handman hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Well, see, God will do, use whatever is there. So and he said, and so Elijah said, Go borrow these vessels, uh, uh, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. So she's supposed to get a whole bunch of these pots, Okay. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. He said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God. That's the title, of course, of Elisha. And he said, Go, sell the oil and pay the debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. So this little uh, episode is just a demonstration of God's grace and His mercy. It's a miracle. Not everyone, this was not a public miracle, a very private miracle, but he saw to it that she was provided for. And uh, so, she, in other words, she got borrowed all these vessels, and they all got filled with oil. This is olive oil. And she can go sell that and get rid of the debt that threatened her losing her sons. And uh, so she and all her financial obligations met. And she, what was left, she could live off of. 
And so uh, this uh, just a demonstration of God's miraculous care for those that are faithful. And even though they're in the middle of an apostate state of, of the northern kingdom at the time. And of course, widows are always vulnerable. And the widow of the prophet would even be more needy. And yet God cared for this faithful, dependent believer. You're going to see here God's special concern for women and their special needs, both in the, this incident and uh, and the following incident. So let's go to verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. So he's found a meal ticket here. They take care of him. She, she apparently passes by there frequently, and he gets fed by them. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. What do you mean? What they really mean? Not on the wall. It's above the, the 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 roof of the house was typically flat and like a patio anyway, the cool of the evening kind of thing. And it was also a convenient place to add a room. It would be on top of the walls of the house. It would add a room up on the top there. So I pray thee uh, on the wall, let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on the day that he came thither and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, Gehazi, we're going to hear a lot about him in a little while, uh, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he call, when he had called her, she stood before him. So he calls her up there. And he said unto him, say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us, in other words, uh, been taken care of us, with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? She answered, I dwell among mine own people. See, Elisha, even though he was uh, contrary to the policies of the capital, he had uh, clout. He had, uh, he had access to the king and whatever. And he's trying to find a way to sort of uh, repay her hospitality. What do you need? What can be done for you? And she declines. She had nothing she needs. He said, well, what is then to be done for her? He's doing this all through Gehazi, his servant, because he doesn't want to embarrass her. See, if he doesn't want to ask her directly. And Gehazi answered, verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. So Gehazi, she doesn't mention this, but Gehazi suggests that here she is. She has no child. Women always want a child. She's barren. And her husband is old. And so, if, uh, so Gehazi suggests this, and so Elijah says, "Call her." And when he had called her, she stood at the door, and he said, "About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son." And she said, "Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid." What she's what she's saying here: don't get her hopes up. She thinks this is you know too much. I mean, that, that's really off the wall. You know, here she is. That she can have a child. But, and the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. So the kid is still a kid, but he is old enough to presumably help. But he goes out there and apparently has sunstroke or something. He says, and he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. So the kid, the, the, this, this miraculously born kid, dies. And she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. No, she doesn't tell her husband. She goes directly to Elisha. 
She went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her far off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her. And say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by his feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, No, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. So uh, this is one, thing, one of those times Elisha doesn't know what, what the problem is. She said it was well to Gehazi, because you know, he, he was not relevant. He, she didn't want to get it. She didn't have time for explanation. She said, just pass to me to get to the, to the man here. Then she said, and this is so Jewish. She says to Elisha, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? See, I know, did I ask for this? <laughs> what she's, uh, she, she's not explaining what's wrong yet. She's just vexed, of course. Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take thy staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. But if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay thy staff upon the face of the child. So Elisha's figured out that the child is in jeopardy. He tells Gehazi to, to get ready to run, take my staff in your hand, and if you meet, anyone, meet anybody on the way, don't bother with the usual amenities. They can spend a lot of time saluting and saying hi and all that. Don't, don't bother with that. If, 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 go that way. If you meet any man, don't salute him. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. You're in a hurry. In other words, this is urgent. You, you know, haul out there and, and, and lay thy staff upon the face of the child. The mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. And wherefore he went not again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. When Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead. It said it, see, here it says it a second time, so make no doubt, have no doubt about that. The child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he, that is Elisha, went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain, there were two of them, Gehazi and the mother, and he prayed to the Lord. Now he wants to be alone, undistracted with the Lord. He went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, and hands upon his hands, and stretched himself upon the child. And the flesh of the child waxed warm. That's an encouraging sign. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and he went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times. The child opened his eyes, and he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she was come into him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. And so that's, this is the Shunammite's child. Very similar kind of thing that Elijah did. Um, and uh, pretty straightforward, I guess. It's, a, again, another one of these uh, miracles. So verse uh, 38, And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was dearth in the land. Again, we have this horrible famine going on. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot, and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out in the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds, his lap full, and came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. Now these are unknown gourds. And, and, the, uh, and by the way, these little episodes that are concatenated in these chapters are not necessarily in chronological order. The, the writer apparently has collected these anecdotes to, to exemplify um, the, uh, the uh, ministry of Elisha. 
So anyway, they, they had these unknown gourds. They, so they poured out for men to eat. It came to pass as they were eating of the pottage, they cried out and said, Oh, thou man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. So these unknown gourds they put in it had a horrible taste and probably caused some physical reactions of the, uh, the people that were trying to eat it. It was uh, another similar plant, probably the colocynth, which is poisonous and bitter tasting. So the prophets concluded that these particular gourds had poisoned the stew. Elijah says, well, bring, then bring meal. And he cast into the pot and said, pour out for the people and they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. So again, here's a, uh, this is very precious because there was a famine. It's not just a casual meal. There's not much of this available. And uh, this, uh, whatever Elijah, uh, Elisha did here, uh, it's a miracle, uh, made it palatable. And uh, now what's interesting, this is the physical provision for their need. They have they also have a, a famine of the Word of God. And uh, they are uh, turning from God and His law. So the people are hungry spiritually. And, and, and that's why they've turned to these false religions like Baalism and so forth. So God's prophets, of course, are they're, what they're trying to do is help counteract the deadly effect of Baalism in Israel. And uh, there came a man from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and full ears of corn and the husk thereof. And he said, give to the people that they may eat. Baal Shalisha is the house of three valleys, by the way. It's near Gilgal. And the famine, of course, is still persisting. And so the, and the servitor said, what, should I set this before a hundred men? He said again, give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and they shall, leave, and they shall leave thereof. He said before them they did eat and they left thereof according to the word of the Lord. So here again, you've got a, a, a food that fed a hundred assembled men. And uh, another one of these episodes. And, of course, now these episodes get promoted all through the land um, that here's a God that can multiply resources. And see, Baal, they're worshiping as a God of fertility, the God of the ground, the God of crops, and they're having a famine. That should tell them something. See, Baal is not able to help them. The God of Israel is. But let's keep moving on to chapter 5. We have an interesting episode here with Naaman the Syrian. Elijah's, Elisha's ministry is going to expand beyond the borders of Israel and is, is recorded in a miracle that Jesus himself makes reference to. But let's go in. Naaman was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. That's all the positives. Here's the negative. But he was a leper. This may not be the leprosy as we uh, think of it or know it. It's a, it's a, it's a, no, as it's known today, but it's a very dreaded disease that degenerated their victims and eventually proves fatal. No cure of it for it was known. Um, there, normally in Israel, lepers were isolated from the non-lepers, but that's not always the custom in other nations like Aram or Syria, what we know as Syria. And so apparently Naaman was able to carry on his duties uh, as long as his disease permitted him to do so. Anyway, the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. In other words, in the various affairs, they captured an Israelite gal who is, then becomes a maid to Naaman, this captain of the host's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. So this Israelite gal knew about Elisha and passes on to name his wife, and of course it gets to Naaman. 
And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. This is a, a gift to get the king of Israel to let this man of God heal his captain of the host. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter has come into thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Sounds good, doesn't it? They hear that there's a, 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 an answer in Israel, this prophet. So the king of Syria, because he's got his right-hand guy that needs his healing, sends a letter to the king of Israel. But human nature is what it is. The king of Israel is in panic. He thinks he's being set up. It came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I a god to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. See, the king of Israel thinks he's being set up to have a dispute here of some kind. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. Simple remedy. Notice, Elisha doesn't even give him the courtesy of an audience. He's come all the way from Syria to Elisha's place. He sends out his messenger. <laughs> Go to, come to wash in the Jordan seven times, and the flesh shall come again unto thee. But Naaman was wroth. You see, he, he, he was really upset. And, uh, cause he's, he's got his, 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 you know, he's, it's injured his pride. He, uh, offended because of his offhanded treatment. And he also resented having to wash in a muddy river that he considered inferior to the Abana and the Farper rivers in his own hometown. See, the water in the Jordan can't do it. You see, he doesn't understand. It's not the water of Jordan. It's a question of being obedient. So anyway, he says, so Naaman was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and to stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Boy, you know how often it is that our impatience and our presumption and our pride can get in the way of God's blessing. There go any of us. Fortunately, he said, his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? You know, conquer some castles or whatever, you know. How much rather than when he saith thee, wash and be clean? So to see, the servants try to argue, what's he asking for? Give it a try, in effect. It's impressive that the servants feel comfortable going to their boss to make that kind of recommendation. A lot of bosses you wouldn't do that for. So then he, when he down, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, and guess what? According to the saying of the man of God, his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. That does not end the story. He returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. 
said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. What a statement for the Syrian. You couldn't get a statement like that from the people in Israel. They're worshiping Baal. Here's the Syrian. Behold, now I know there is no God. He doesn't say that God is God. He's saying there's no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So he offers him some kind of gratuity. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. That is, Elisha refused. Now, of course, his servant is taking notes while else is going on. Naaman said, Shall it not be then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the God of Israel. Now, this idea of the earth may puzzle us, but see, that, that's a pagan idea. Um, See, he asked him to give as much earth as he could carry back to Damascus on two mules because he intended to make an altar of the Lord in Damascus. And uh, see, the polytheists believe that no god could be worshipped except in its own land on an altar built in the dirt of that land. That's what's going on here. That's a pagan belief, in other words. He says, uh, In this thing the Lord pardoned thy servant, but when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon, that's the, that's the pagan god, to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. But when I bow... When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. In other words, what he's saying is he is accepting the God of Israel as the God. His duties will require him to accompany the king as he worships his pagan God, and he can't, he can't avoid that. And uh, Elisha says, go in peace, and he departed him a little way. So he lets that go on. But now the story isn't over. Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, the servant that is, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman the Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from his chariot to meet him and said, It's all well. And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, He's lying through his teeth here. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Gehazi is looking for some bakshish, some, some kickback. And he's lying through his teeth to, to pull this off. Naaman said, be content, take two talents. And he urged him, bound him two talents of silver and two bags. That's about, what, 70, 70, 90 pounds, something like that each. Um, uh, with two bags and uh, two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed upon them in the house and let the man go their way, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. <laughs> you see, he took the stuff that Naaman that gave him, and he put it in his own house. That was just all a contrived story to make it sound good. You have the feeling that Gehazi was around today, he would be on television, wouldn't he? <laughs> but he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, when come, uh, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. <laughs> Notice what Elisha says to Gehazi. You know, Gehazi's pretty stupid. Here's the man of God. He's trying to outfox. That's dumb. You know, that's not only, that's not only, uh, uh, disreputable. It's also stupid. When he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and to thy seed forever. 
Oh, boy. And he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Tough deal. Tough deal. And, uh, well, he lied through his teeth, and, and uh, he, 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 and then one, one lie after another. Um, then he lied, tries to lie, lie to Elisha. That's pretty stupid. See, what Elisha's, what Elisha's saying to Naaman, if you buy these, you also buy Naaman's leprosy. Naaman had become an Israelite, in effect, and Gehazi became a pagan through sin. Um, see, Naaman's conversion, in effect, was to show the Israelites how easily the Lord could turn the hearts of their adversaries and thereby make them worshipers of Jehovah, fellow believers like the Jews themselves. That's one of the lessons here. One of the things you'll learn when you get to Luke chapter 4, when Jesus is making his opening statements at, at the, at the uh, synagogue at Nazareth, he announces his mandate from Isaiah 61. And then he goes through a little sermon. And uh, he mentions there were, no, there were many lepers in Israel, but only one that God healed. That was Naaman. Jesus makes reference to this and tells us something else. There were no other lepers. This wasn't just an incident. There were many lepers. No, this was the only one, Jesus tells us. He also says there are many widows in Zarephath, but to only one was Elisha sent and so forth. And from that sermon, they interrupt it, and they try to throw him off a cliff. And one of your assignments I'd give you to think about is to read Luke 4 and figure out why were they up so upset by those examples that they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. Now, he slipped away, of course. I'll give you the answer. Both examples that Jesus chose were Gentiles. The widow at Zarephath was in Sidon. Naaman was a Syrian. And they were distinctive in that God reached them. And uh, that offended the arrogance of the Pharisees in the synagogue, enough that they tried to kill him over that sermon. Check Luke 4. You'll find there's a fo- it's full of some interesting surprises. But this, this leprosy of uh, uh, Naaman is one of the, the uh, um, examples that Jesus alludes to. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Musler, teaching through the book of 2 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.